Well, hello, my name is Jordan. Uh, I'm the senior pastor here at Northwood Church. And in case it's your first time here and you don't know who we are or what's going on, we are one church, uh, four locations here in Gulfport, Ocean Springs, Long Beach, and in Wiggins. And uh, so I'm excited to be able to share with you today uh, the, the, what is this, the fifth or sixth I think it's the sixth week in our, in our Loving Logic series. And um, man, if you, if, if you decide to come today and it's your first time or it's your first time in a while, boy, did you pick a day to come. That's all I'm gonna have to say about that. Um, and before I get into it, I, I do wanna just remind you again, um, we have uh, wonderful kids ministries all the way through the age of 11. Um, and today will be a great day for you to take advantage of that as uh, we are gonna be talking about some, some things that are uh, very sensitive and uh, we're gonna be using verbiage that if you don't wanna have awkward conversations around the table later, it'd be a great time to, to take them out. I, I'm giving you a fair warning. Now, um, for those of you who may be 12, 13, 14, and, and you might still, as a parent, feel like they're, uh, <clears throat> you're like, oh gosh, what is he about to say? Um, I'm gonna be saying all of it. We're talking about sexuality today. I'm gonna to be, to be talking about all of it. And so um, in one sense, I, I apologize. In another sense, I think you need to realize, all of us need to realize that the things that I'm gonna talk about today uh, are everywhere. They're, they're everywhere. They're in every bit of media that we watch. They're in every movie. They're in every article. The, the, the concepts that we're gonna talk about today. So, uh, so sometimes, you know, it's like, when do we expose young people to these ideas? Well, I think the church being the first one to expose young people to these ideas is a great thing. Because uh, I believe I heard someone recently say that whoever, uh, ex whoever gives someone information first, that person perceives them to be the authority in that subject. All right, so, uh, so as parents, we're, we're like, okay, when do I talk to my kids about these things and when do I not? I mean, I'm right there right now. We got a 10-year-old and I'm like, man, you know, how much information do we give? I don't want to steal their innocence, but at the same time, do I want some random kid at school to steal their innocence and, and skew what sexuality is to them first? No. So we're in this dance and in our society, let me tell you something. If your kid is on social media, the things that I'm going to talk about today, um, they've been exposed to in some way, shape, or form. Uh, if, if you watch any movie, again, anything, it's everywhere. And so anyway, I've let you know, and I've also given you time <clears throat> to exit or not. So with all that being said, here we go. Here we go. Uh, our series, Loving Logic, uh, is, is, is our approach to talking about some of the hot topics that are going on in our culture, uh, not only in our culture, but in the church. Uh, there is a movement called progressive Christianity, which is really not Christianity at all, but it is also a spectrum. So some people uh, label themselves, call themselves progressive Christians, and they are not outside the parameters of uh, maybe a, a, a historic Christian. They, they still do hold to a lot of the tenets of Christian faith, but they're progressing in certain ideas. And some people are progressing to a place where it's not even, it's not even Christianity anymore. It's really not. And so, uh, so this is kind of our approach to exposing these ideas, talking about them straight up, like just pulling the curtains back and saying, this is what's going on. And, uh, and so today we're gonna be talking about sexuality. We talked about authority last week, which was <clears throat> you know, difficult enough given what's going on in our society. So we're just gonna, we're gonna ratchet up just one more week, you know, just, just, just crank it. Here we go, all right? Uh, talking about sexuality. Uh, the, the scripture that we've used each week is Colossians 2.8. 
Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ, okay? So our goal in this series is to be informed and equipped to hold fast to and declare biblical truth in a loving and logical way. And again, we talked about authority. We're gonna dive into sexuality today. Um, But this is one of the most difficult things to talk about, especially in the way that I'm gonna talk about it today. My goal is to bring clarity to definitions, to conversations. Uh, Not everything that I say today do I necessarily agree with, and, and I'm, definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely not gonna say something that all of you agree with, okay? So this is not about agreement. This is about information and letting you understand the conversations that are going on and why there's so much confusion surrounding sexuality in our nation. And, uh, and so, so uh, by the way, before I move on, because I know at some point it's potential that someone may turn off the live feed because they don't want to listen to me talk about this anymore. Or some of you might decide that you don't want to hear what I have to say, so you might leave. So I want to give you a resource before that happens, okay? So uh, there's a man named Preston Sprinkle who's uh, done a lot of writing and uh, also has a website that you can check out, centerforfaith.com. Um, he also has two books I think are incredible, uh, Embodied and, about, and uh, People to be Loved. It's, uh, uh, Embodied is all about uh, gender identities and uh, People to be Loved is all about, uh, more about sexual, uh, uh, sexual orientation and uh, a biblical perspective uh, on these things. And so, so if you don't wanna you know, listen to me anymore, at least you know, there's a resource for you to, uh, to dig into, all right? <laughs> Some of you are like, oh my gosh, why did I come here today? Um, hey, maybe God wants to speak something to you. All right, sexuality. There are two categories of sexuality, clearly. Two categories, biblical sexuality and unbiblical sexuality. That, that's it, okay? Um, unbiblical sexuality focuses on personal desires, which is what I want to do, and individual sexual uh, expression, Okay, what, what I want to do, how I feel, and how I want to express myself. And biblical sexuality focuses on God's design for sexuality and our alignment to that design. Okay, one is me-focused and one is God-focused. And at the, at the root of it, that's where it starts. Am I, am I thinking biblically or unbiblically? Progressive Christians in so many cases agree and align with unbiblical sexuality. So that's why progressive Christians make statements like these. The church should care more about love and less about sex. Now a reminder, if this is your first time here and you don't remember, we are walking through 10 progressive Christian statements, okay? Now these statements are not what we uh, uh, hold to. We don't agree with these statements, although there are bits of truth in these statements, like in any statement out there. So it's not that every statement is completely wrong, but it's what these statements lead to that become the problem. And so a statement like this, the church should care more about love and less about sex. There's a part of that that I completely agree with, right? <laughs> Honestly, I think everybody should care a little bit less about sex. It, why? It's an idol, it's an idol in our, in our culture. It's an idol in the church. Everything revolves around sex and who's having sex with who and, and then their sexuality. It's this idol we have in our culture. So I agree with that. And I think that we should focus on loving people. But what does loving people look like? The Bible says that God is love. So how does God love? And so what he says and what he thinks about what love is, is the highest authority in that, if you believe in God and if you believe in the authority of his word, which we've already discussed in this series. But... God created sex, 
And one thing I wanna say is this, the church has not done a really good job overall, and I mean that very uh, broadly, of talking about sex. Uh, I know, you know, you'll hear a lot of people, especially in the progressive Christian movement, talk about purity culture and how damaging purity culture is. And what purity culture is, is basically everything having to do with with sex is taboo. Don't talk about it, ignore it, make, uh, you know, shame women into the corner and, and make them, you know, like, like you know, super, like you had, must be super prude and, and, and like very, very conservative. And, and, then, and then, you know, typically in that it, it, it blames women for any sort of sexualization in a culture. And, and so you can kind of see this narrative play out. And guess what? It's true. I've known people who were getting married, who were raised in church, who, when it came to the sex part of their marriage, we're struggling with having thoughts of lust for their spouse. They're coming, you know, their, their future spouse, they're about to get married and they're struggling. They're like, wow, I've really been lusting lately. And I'm like, good. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, why are you shocked? Of course, like you should be like holding yourself back. Why, like there's an attraction there. God created that. That's good. Like, Okay, so, so what happens in church culture, it's like bad, 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 and God's the one that's like, no, actually, it's really good. I created it, but what happened? Satan perverted it. Everything that God creates, Satan perverts. Sexuality is no difference. It's no different. So the, the act of sex, the, the identity of sex, all these things, Satan has perverted these things. And so our culture thinks that sexuality is the highest form of self-expression. So to not accept someone's sexuality nowadays is to not accept them, okay? I'm gonna read it again. Our culture thinks sexuality is the highest form of self-expression. So to not accept someone's sexuality, what they claim as their sexuality, is to not accept them. That's why it comes across so unloving um, or it's, it's called unloving because it's like, no, you're rejecting me. No, I'm not rejecting you, right? This statement that we just read is really, the progressive statement that we just read is really saying that the church is too concerned with what we call sexual sin and not with loving people. And loving people is, of course, affirming their lifestyles whether or not it aligns with biblical sexuality. Do y'all see the conundrum that's already being created here? All right, the, the, the inability to actually see eye to eye because seeing eye to eye on something means affirming and agreeing with somebody's lifestyle. And so if love equals that, then God is not even loving, okay? So many people criticize the church because we hold to a, uh, a traditional biblical stance on sexuality, which is seen as unloving and oppressive. Now, there are examples where that is the case, where the church already, I just said a second ago, has been bad about explaining sex and talking about sex and sexuality as a taboo thing. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of dig into a little bit more of what that means here in a second. But sexual sin, sexual immorality, which is another way of saying it, is a, it's, it's also a large umbrella term that we use and it encompasses a lot of things, but basically this is how we word sexual immorality. Again, this is what progressives would say and other people would say that the church spends too much time on. They would say that we spend too much time on this, sexual immorality, which is any sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage between a biological man and woman. So that would be the, that would be the traditional historic uh, thoughts surrounding what sexual immorality is. Biblically, uh, culturally, there it is. And uh, obviously that creates a lot of tension and a lot of problems whenever you say things like this because it doesn't align with what seems to be loving. 
Now, uh, many people have been mistreated and abused in the church. Uh, and I mean that in every sense of the word. I mean that uh, in regards to all the stories that you guys know and, and, and read, uh, you know, from priests and pastors and bishops who sexually abuse uh, kids in church and, and, you know, youth pastors who take advantage of the, of the youth in the church. And there's, there's those obvious um, examples all over the place. And it's abysmal, it's sinful, it grieves the heart of God, and it should grieve our hearts. And it shouldn't be swept under a rug. It should be exposed for what it is and dealt with properly. That's why we talked about accountability and leadership and authority last week. Without accountability, things like that happen and nobody ever says anything except the person who was abused has to walk through their life with a limp, with a broken leg, basically, in their emotions and in their sexuality. And what happens a lot of times is people are abused sexually in church, and it breaks them to such a degree that they then begin to associate that with who God is. And then they're 30s and 40s and 50s, and they're like, you know, extremists in regards to the sexual movement that's happening right now. And they're, they've deconstructed, and they've done all this stuff. And then the church wants to say, what's wrong with you? That's a problem. That's a problem. And the church needs to own it, and we have to be open and honest about that. That hasn't happened here, okay? But it, I, when I say the church, I mean the church. We have a reputation problem when it comes to this, okay? And so it's a, it's a real thing. And so many people, they've been mistreated and abused in the church because also because they find themselves outside the scope of even what sexual immorality, uh, of what we just said there, meaning their attraction is not in, in alignment with the word, who they're attracted to, their, their, their identity. All these things are all skewed. And so they find themselves outside the scope of sexual immorality. And so they feel like they don't have a place to belong. And that's happened in a lot of, a lot of cases. However, the overreaction, y'all remember last week we talked about the overreaction Okay, there's, there's things are happening here and people overreact. Well, progressive Christians overreact in that they then embrace sexual immorality in an effort to love those who are struggling with their sexuality or who have been abused. So out of like compassion, they're like, man, that's terrible what's happened to you. It's terrible how you've been rejected. Guess what? Here at our church, we're not gonna judge you, okay? We're just going to love you. And then they begin to affirm people's lifestyles that are contrary, okay, and in contradiction to what the, what the word of God says. And, and hold on, believe me, I'm gonna bring a whole lot more in regards to support biblically of all the things that we're talking about here. Um, so, so you have that situation. But also in addition to this, Christians struggle to agree about sexuality because of differences in uh, Bible interpretations, and that's really, for me, that's where some of the, the hottest debate is at, is how do we interpret the Bible? Because we've got Christians on both sides or all sides of this conversation who are saying, well, the Bible says this. No, 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 no. If you read it in the broad context and the culture and this and that, you'll see it says this. Well, no, if you actually read this scholar. Well, no, if you read this other scholar. Well, if you go back in time. Well, let's go back to the early church. Let's go back before. Let's go back to literally the moment of creation. And everybody's, you know, like in this contest to see who knows more. And it's creating a lot of confusion in the church. And so people are struggling. So who was right? Who's right? Is the truth about sexuality, is it, is it subjective? We've talked a lot about that. Is the truth of, about sexuality, is it subjective? Like you have your own expression, I have my own expression, and it's all, let everybody do what they wanna do, or is it objective? Is there a standard set that we're supposed to align ourselves to? 
So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna talk about what we believe about sex, gender, and orientation. And so today I'm not gonna be leaning very much into sex before marriage, which is something that's outside the uh, scope of what is sexual, sexually moral. We're not gonna be talking about cohabitation. We're not gonna be talking about a lot of those things. We're gonna be talking about what is happening in our culture in, this, in, the, in the progressive realm in regards to biological sex, gender identity and expression, and, uh, and then also sexual attraction or sexual orientation. They're ready? <clears throat> it's pretty simple, actually. Okay. What do we believe about biological sex? Biological sex defined is physical characteristics that help us differentiate between what is male and female. You've got chromosomes and hormones and reproductive systems, parts, okay? And, and science supports this definition. Uh, this is kind of a traditional definition here. And um, there's an article, it's called uh, The Dangerous Denial of Sex. It's written by Colin Wright and uh, Emma Hilton. It's actually in the Wall Street Journal. You can go look it up. And it says this, they said, uh, no third type of sex cell exists in humans. And therefore, there is no sex spectrum or additional sexes beyond male and female, sex is binary. Now we're talking about the biological term, okay? Biological sex, it's sex in that regard is, is binary. And, and so we, we believe that. We believe that, that biological sex is binary, male and female, we believe that science supports it. But also we see that God says that he made us biologically binary. If you go, and of course, many of you right here, you could get up here and, and talk about what we're talking about right now because you know where we're headed. Genesis 1, right? Genesis 1. God created man in his own image. We are all made in the image of God, okay? Uh, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, we know, uh, we know this is talking about a biological function because the next verse talks about reproduction, okay? Genesis 1, 28. And God blesses them, he blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, Fill the earth and subdue it. And um, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not a biologist or a scientist or whatever, but I do know that uh, when it comes to reproduction in regards to humans, uh, there's a male and there's a female. There's, there's sperm and there's egg, okay? And these things are necessary, no matter all the trappings surrounding it, these things are necessary to actually reproduce. And so that you can't get away from that, okay? So, uh, so, so science supports it. Uh, the word of God supports it. Jesus confirms it in Matthew 19. He confirms this idea. Uh, he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And then he goes on to say, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. We see uh, not only this biological sex uh, talked about, we also see these, this, this husband and wife, male and female, being married, leaving their, uh, their parents, basically, and coming together and then becoming one flesh. We see a pattern there, and, and that's, how, you know, that's how we think about it. Um, now, for many people right here, they're, they're like, okay, yeah, but what about intersex people? And intersex people are people who are born with a mixture of, 
They could, they could have uh, a male and female uh, organs, sex organs, okay? Uh, there's some that have, you know, testicles and, and ovaries, and, and there's, there's all different combinations of this that you'll see. Um, and also, statistically, you'll see some people talk about how it's uh, 1%, even up to 2% of people who deal with these issues. And um, that depends a lot on which variables you're, you're putting. Y'all know stats are very funny, right? Like stat, you can kind of make a stat say what you want it to say. So what happens is uh, uh, people who know, okay, they, they make money and they're professors and all this kind of stuff, right? They make money to teach people these things. They, they do a study, okay, and, they, and then they begin to, to push this, this idea out there of a certain percentage of people. And of course, that percentage continues to grow as a society begins to rally around these ideas. More and more people begin to say, oh yeah, that's me too, that's me, yeah, yeah I also deal with that. And so it gets away from just biological conversations or you know, parts that people have and it gets into uh, to, to other variables and so that, that percentage keeps growing, okay? So in reality, what I just described as intersex people, it's more around the 0.02% uh, of people actually deal with that. And again, as you begin to add other variables, that number gets bigger. But max, you're talking about about 1.7% of people, but, uh, but many people would say it's, it's more like 0.02% of people who are born with this situation. And so there are people who have a mixture of these things. But let me tell you something. It, it, it's, it's a difficult situation, okay, but we don't create another category in order to accommodate that. And that's, that's for some people feels very unloving because they want people to have something that they belong to. And it's like, listen, this is a tough situation, but we can't you know, uh, recategorize and, and, and relook at all of, of biology in order to accommodate that. We just have to do our best to treat each person with the type of treatment that they need in those situations, okay? So we're not, we're not uh, uh, ignoring those but we're also, we're also holding fast to this idea that, that sex is binary, biological sex is binary, okay? So with all of that said, and obviously there's a whole lot more to say about that, um, really this conversation is complicated because of the confusion surrounding biological sex and gender. And, and for most people, what I just said doesn't make any sense to you. You're, you're, you're like, that's the same thing. I, I know that's what you think, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's why we're gonna, we're gonna talk about this because conversations are changing. Definitions of words are changing and unless you understand whose definition means what, then you can't have a conversation with people because you're saying different words and, and you're not even communicating in the right, the right thing. So let's kinda, let's kinda get into the more complicated part of this conversation. What do we believe about gender? Um, again, there's some current definitions uh, that we want to talk about. Now, here's, you need to hear me say this, okay? Um, my goal is to bring clarity to these definitions for you. Um, and again, not every single word that I say do I necessarily like, personally believe, but I'm really not trying to interject my personal belief into these things right now. Um, I'm trying to inform each of you uh, uh, of, of what the conversations are in our world. And so, so as you read these definitions, like, don't, I don't want you to have this thought right now of, well, is he saying this or is he saying that right now? What does he mean by that? Like, let's just listen to, to the conversation and, and let's go from there. And, and don't turn me off in the next 10 minutes because if you do, you're not gonna actually get what I'm trying to say. Everybody good with that? All right, thank you all for the support. Okay, so <laughs> gender, as it's defined nowadays, means this. It's a social and cultural distinctions. It's a social and cultural distinctions between sexes. 
okay? Have you ever heard that people, people say gender is a social construct? Okay, everybody says everything is a social construct nowadays. And that's how people, that's what, they, that's what they're saying, that basically society over time has constructed ideas about what it means to be a male or a female or a man or a woman. And, and so it's not real, it's just people have created that. So therefore, it removes any sort of objectivity and makes it very subjective, okay? So, so gender. Now, there's, uh, there's two um, uh, conversations going on. Uh, traditionally, sex and gender were the same, okay? Traditionally speaking, and for, honestly, for many of you in this room, also given where we live in the South, for many of you, that is your idea. Whenever you hear sex, uh, biological sex and gender, you don't think those things are separate, you think those are the same, and that's what a lot of people have thought for many, many, many years. And uh, ever since the 60s, really, that began to change. And now, mainstream sex and gender are not the same anymore. That's not how they define that. You know, that's not how our world defines it. And so, uh, again, traditional approach, gender and sex are synonyms. Modern day approach, sex and gender are separate. One article to explain this says this, sex and gender are not the same. Sex is our biology, what chromosomes, hormones, genes, sex organs, and secondary uh, sex characteristics we have. While gender is how we think of our identity in the context of how norms function in our culture. All right, so I think you guys can kind of see the, the difference there. So, uh, and, and so if we're talking about gender, there, there's also two different categories of gender. There's gender identity and gender expression. So let's just continue to climb our way through this. Gender identity is this. Internal feelings about one's internal and personal sense of being a man or a woman. The way individuals perceive and wish to name themselves or what they prefer to be called in conversation. Again, I'm just giving you a definition so that way we all understand what we mean whenever we use these terms, okay, as we, as we move through this. This is, when somebody says gender identity, this is what they're talking about, the internal feelings that someone has about whether they're a man or a woman, and, and, and then, of course, what they want to be called. You know, it's where we kind of, where we get into conversations of pronouns and all this, right? So uh, there are currently somewhere around 112 genders now. Um, it's somewhere in that, that category. Uh, this is where you, you hear things like cis, trans, asexual, pan, you know, all these uh, pansexual, and it goes on and on and on. Because once you get away from uh, the traditional idea of sex being binary, okay, and then gender being binary, all of a sudden it becomes this gigantic spectrum. It has to because you've, you've kind of, you've moved away from something that's always been like a pillar in society. And so all of a sudden you have all these new ways of referring to, uh, to people's identity, their sexual identity, okay? Now, again, I'm just explaining this. Um, for an example, transgenders, their biological sex and internal sense of gender identity don't match. So they may have male parts, uh, been born a male, okay? But internally, as they've progressed in life, they begin to feel that they are a woman. And so uh, this is called gender dysphoria. Now, gender dysphoria is a very, very, very um, offensive term to some transgenders, but not to all transgenders. There are actually uh, more moderate transgenders, you know, in our nation right now. You might not hear from them very much, but 
They actually would agree that they are dealing with this issue, and so they're trying to deal with that issue by living a lifestyle that makes them feel more comfortable in their own skin, okay? But gender dysphoria is, is a term that's trying to be pushed out of our society because it, it's, it's oppressive to people who find themselves in this position. Um, I, I wanna say this, being a transgender or anything else, I don't think it's fake. I don't think it's something to be uh, uh, shrugged off or like whatever, like, oh, they're just, you know. no, this is a real thing, y'all, okay? This is, this is a real thing. And it's been around for a very, very long time. And um, you can go read an article by Paul McHugh. Who, uh, it's called Transgenderism, a Pathogenic Meme. Um, it's on thepublicdiscourse.com. And uh, Paul McHugh is the uh, university distinguished professor of psychiatry at John's, uh, John Hopkins Medical School and was the former psychiatrist in chief of Johns Hopkins Hospital. And he talks about this in his article. And I'm not, not going to read it, but you can go look at it, how to actually treat transgenders. And, um, and this is, that's, that's another big conversation. Does it need to be treated or does it need to be celebrated? You know, how do we deal with, with something that's uh, culturally being lifted up as something to be not just uh, uh, celebrated, but as a model for people to then live by? Uh, and, and I can see why some people, uh, they're doing it out of love. They're doing it out of a heart for people to try to not make them feel so uh, rejected in society or ostracized. It's, it's why they, everybody uses the term inclusion, We're wanting everything to be inclusive. And so... Here's the deal, though, if you don't agree with what that means, if you disagree with, with that ideology, then you're no longer being inclusive, you're being exclusive, so therefore you need to be excluded. Cancel. So you guys kind of start putting this together. So there's gender identity. Now, there's also gender expression, which is the external expression of how one feels about their gender identity, okay? Someone's gender identity is usually expressed through masculine or feminine characteristics, and that varies from culture to culture. So this is what I want, to, I want you to understand. Some people get caught up talking about gender expression, and they're talking about gender expression, not realizing that someone's talking about gender identity. And then some people are talking about gender identity, not really realizing that somebody's talking about biological sex. And so all of a sudden, it's like, wait, whenever you said that, what... what what are we talking about? Let's talk about gender expression for a second. Gender expression, I'll give you an example of what this is. If a man was in Scotland and was walking around in a kilt, people would be like, okay, I mean, he's walking around in a kilt. That's kind of part of our culture, it's what we do. We actually used to have a buddy who would wear a kilt to church years ago, you know? For him, he's like, it's part of my heritage, man. For other people, they're like, that guy's wearing a skirt. And culturally, it was like, hmm, listen, if you wear a kilt to a rodeo in Texas, people are going to look at you funny. <laughs> just going just gonna to throw it out there. Okay? Why? Because that expression comes across feminine in certain cultures, but masculine in others. Okay? And, and this is where we start getting. In the South, you're not a man's man unless you hunt and you fish and you dip. You know what I'm saying? And you kick your dog, and you don't care about your, you know what I'm saying? I don't know about that one. That was tough. That was tough. That felt bad. The feminine side of me didn't like that. So, right? <laughs> Come on. And, and yet, if you go to a metropolitan area, man, it looks totally different to be a guy. People look at me, and because I fixed my hair, and I, I wear the clothes that I wear, they're like, that's kind of 
it's kind of girly, huh? It's kind of feminine. I'm like, no, I just care about my hair. I like it to look nice, you know what I'm saying? My bad, I don't just shave it, you know? I put forth effort, come on. No. But you, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm making it funny, but exactly what I'm doing is exactly what happens in society. People start having uh, arguments about expression and they're like, oh man, that comes across really feminine or masculine. And then what happens is people who are raised up in, in an environment, young people who are raised up in an environment who have uh, a tendency towards maybe more, if they're a, if they're a, a guy, they have more feminine expressions, uh, just in the way that they kind of live or talk or whatever, they start hearing people say, well, you connect more with what it means to be a woman rather than a man. And then all of a sudden they're spun off into this identity conversation of maybe I need to change my gender identity and identify something else because I don't fit what it means to be a stereotypical cultural male. So this matters a lot. And guess what? In church, this has been not done well. Because also, we're not even getting into talking about gender roles, which is how someone should function in society, right? A gender role is basically, okay, hey, if somebody's breaking in your house, guess who's gonna go first and, and, and fight, the, fight the person breaking in your house? The man, right? Well, what if the woman is trained in MMA and like she, or she shoots better than the guy, you know what I'm saying? Like what if maybe the man should call 911 and she should go take care of what's up? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I mean, that's a gender role. And then all of a sudden, if somebody says, well, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not really into physical combat. You know, and it's like, oh, what's wrong with you, man? You're the dude. You're supposed to. And it's like, man, I don't know, bro. You know, I'm, a, I'm, in, like, I'm into music. You know, I, I've sang since I was a kid. And for some people, you know, it, and that's why, that's why there's always more women who sing than men. Because men struggle with expressing themselves. Why? Because they're told, don't express yourself. You keep those emotions intact. You don't tell God that you love him and that you enjoy his presence because that sounds very feminine. And it's also why women connect with God a whole lot more than men sometimes is because men have this masculine male you know, approach and then they see God as a man and a male and they're like, it's weird to tell another man I love him because they were never told that they were loved by their father. So they don't know how to express masculine love. So this, this, this thing, it, it's not political, y'all, <laughs> okay? It's not political. I don't care who you vote for, okay? This, this conversation has nothing to do with that. It becomes that, and that's, where, that's why people become so um, enraged about what they think about sexuality or not. And, and what happens is, typically, conservative churches, a lot of people, they buy into this idea, these ideas over here, and then, uh, then the, you know, people that are more liberal in their, in their political stances and in how they see society, they, they, they buy into these ideas and it, they both have different languages that they're using and nobody wants to say, hey, guess what? I actually understand what you're trying to say. Oh, that's nice. I actually understand what you're trying to say. Hey, can we have an adult conversation about what you actually mean by what you're saying? No, we can't do that. All we do is we post dumb stuff on, on social media. We, we, we hurl these random sentences out there and gender and sex are the same thing. That's how it's always been. That's how it's always gonna be. And not understand what that person was even trying to say in the first place. And it happens vice versa. It, and so, yeah, I do get a little frustrated about these things. That's right. I do. So that's why in this moment, 
It's like, what are we doing, y'all? And then all of a sudden we start slapping Jesus all over it. Everybody, by the way, progressives, Christians, historical Christians, everybody's just like, well, Jesus did this, Jesus did that. Well, God would do this. And everybody's got just as much information to support their, and, and it's like, man, I, I think there's some places where Jesus is threading a needle that actually should convict all of us, okay? And so you guys will see what I'm saying here in just a little bit. Gender expression. So when someone says, uh, when some say gender is a spectrum, they're actually referring to, to gender expression, not gender identity. And, and that, that's a big thought. Because whenever you hear gender is a spectrum, for some of you, you're like, that's not true. It's binary. And it's like, wait, wait. Some of them are talking about, about masculinity and femininity. And here's the deal, y'all. There is overlap in regards to masculine and feminine characteristics. It, it, when, you, when you start having that conversation, some of it, you're talking about personality types. You are, like, like men tend to be more assertive than women. It doesn't mean that all women are not assertive, okay? But that is a, a, a characteristic of a, of a, of a, of a gender, of, of, a, of a person who they're just more assertive. And so then what happens is whenever assertiveness is labeled as masculine and then it's labeled as toxic masculinity, it's then looked down upon to not be assertive at all, but to be completely unassertive and come over all the way to, so, so it's okay for then, it's okay for, for women to be assertive, but not for men, because that is a, a masculine trait and it's also, you know, it's taught, you guys get what I'm saying? And I could go on and on about this right here because this is, where, this is where the crux of the conversation gets. So when somebody says gender is a spectrum, for those of you who that like makes your head spin, uh, what they're trying to say a lot of times in, in one case is that gender expression is a, uh, uh, a spectrum. Now, we'll get to gender identity being an expression, um, a uh, spectrum here in a second. But there's masculinity and femininity. So here's where uh, the complexity is in our society. And I, I wanna say this again, and I know that I'm repeating myself, but it's because you need to hear me say it a couple times. The confusing conversations about sexuality come from a conflation or a combination of the terms of biological sex, male and female, gender identity, man and woman, gender expression, masculine and feminine, and then of course gender roles, how do I function in society? And so whenever people are just like throwing out all these terms, there's confusion. Are y'all with me on that? How many of you, just by a show of hands, how many of you already can see that you've been confused in some of the conversations that you've tried to have with people? Okay, that's exactly right. How many of you actually, everything I'm saying, you're like, no, I, I totally get what you're saying actually. Like, Less, some of you are like, I still don't know what's going on. <laughs> so this is my question. How do we communicate truth about gender identity and, and gender in, in this context, right? How do you do it? Well, this is how we're trying to do it. In, in, in environments like this. But you also have to ask the question, what does the Bible say? And the Bible does not have a lot to say about transgenderism, okay? Um, that word didn't exist. Okay, some of these ideas didn't exist in their current form back then. But the Bible does actually uh, talk a little bit about transgenderism, and uh, most of us would have never known because whenever we just read a translation of the Bible, we read the word for what it says, and we don't actually understand the deeper meanings of these words. And so 
when it comes to uh, gender identity issues and then what flows out of that, how someone then expresses their identity, how do we communicate truth in this? What does the Bible say? Well, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10 says this, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, which those two things pretty much hit all of us in some way, shape, or form, by the way, um, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, now first things first, you can obviously see that Paul is talking here about a whole lot of people. There's a whole lot of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not just what we're talking about today, okay? There's, there, there's, a, there's a bigger thing going on. But we're just having a conversation about sexuality, and so we're gonna lean into this part right here. Whenever it says, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, these, these, this phrase is from uh, two Greek words, malakoi and arsenokoitis. If you wanna look that up later, M-A-L-A-K-O-I and arsenokoitis, or koitis, I honestly, anyway. A-R-S-E-N-O-K-O-I-T-E-S. Uh, these words have been translated, translated 28 different ways, okay? And, uh, and still, this is actually where the problem is. What do these words actually mean? What do they mean? Malakoi in scripture is used to refer to, it just means soft. So that's why if some of you read this scripture in a different translation, you'll see it, say, it says uh, effeminate, which is unfortunate because what effeminate means in our culture is just men who don't check all the boxes of what it means to be a manly man. And the less boxes you check, the more effeminate you are. And so in church, pastors have, have taught, you're supposed to be a man, and if you don't grunt and blah, 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 then you're effeminate. And it says you won't inherit the kingdom of God, and that's not what it's saying. It's not what it's saying. These words have been translated 28 ways. This is where the debate goes. And in the context of this verse, these words are referring to men who would dress and act as women, okay? Engage in male prostitution, and in some cases castrate themselves to look like women. Philo of Alexandria is a first century Jewish uh, philosopher, and he uses these words, he uses this words malachite to um, to express this and talk about this. What we see nowadays in regards to people who they don't feel their biological sex matches their, what we would call gender identity, okay? That's what, I'm using the terms here. It, this has been around for a very, very, very long time. And it is addressed here clearly where this is what Paul's talking about. And, and here's the deal. If you go and you read what people say about these words right here, Malakoi and all this, you're gonna, you're gonna hear them talk about how it, it just refers to soft and it's not referring to, to this at all, blah, blah, blah. But it depends in which context the word's being used as what they are describing. If I use the word spring right now, you have no idea what I'm, what I'm gonna say. Spring. I could be talking about the weather. I could be talking about springing into action. I could be talking about a coiled up piece of metal. Because it depends what words around it and what point I'm trying to make, that's what makes that word mean what it means, right? That's, that, that's what defines it. And so this word is just like that. Yeah, of course it's used to describe 
a shirt in Matthew or, or a robe in Matthew, the book of Matthew, or this or that. Of course it is. A lot of our words do the same thing. But what is Paul trying to say? And then what do other contemporary authors, how do they use that word in their context? And Philo is one example. There's a couple of other Roman uh, authors who use this word in this way. This was a real situation. Uh, you know, I gotta keep moving. <clears throat> I was gonna go another route, but let's just keep moving. So having gender, I, I wanna say this. So it, it's a reality. Paul says that, that living this lifestyle and going this direction is, is sinful. It's not according to God's design. So therefore, don't do it, all right? Stay away from that. Just like you shouldn't lie, shouldn't cheat, shouldn't do a whole lot of other things. This is where this, some people are doing this, and he says this is not proper uh, uh, Christian um, you know, moral activity. Um, but again, I want to say this. Having gender identity issues is not the sin, and, and I think this is a, a big, big, big point right here. And this is also gonna apply to the next section that we talk about. Because someone is dealing with gender identity issues, like we're talking about, that in and of itself is not the sin. That is a, that is a, a battle that they are in, okay? It is, it, is, it is real. If you're dealing with that here today, and maybe you've just suppressed it, or maybe you're actually living it out because you're like, I just, I need to feel comfortable in this life. Maybe you're watching online and you find yourself in that position. I'm not saying that the fact that you're dealing with that is some, like you're weird or you're, you know what I'm saying? It is a real thing. There's people with cancer in this room right now. There's people with, with emotional issues. There's people with physical, we all have issues and we all must deal with them appropriately. This is a very difficult one. And it's also whenever you begin to, and this is the problem with our society, we make sexuality one, one of the, uh, part of our identity. Part of the, 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 the deepest part of us, we associate sexuality with this core part. It's why in Christianity, we don't have an identity outside of our identity in Christ. And that might sound religious or cliche, but if you have an understanding of finding your identity in Christ, then whenever I say that, something deep in you says, yes. That my identity is not that I'm 5'6", okay? Thank God, because that's pretty short, all right? My identity is not as a musician, y'all. I lost my voice three years ago, two, three years ago. I couldn't sing. I've sang since I was like 12. I couldn't sing for, a, for almost a year. Couldn't, I mean, lead worship, couldn't do anything. Still haven't fully recovered. I went through a, like a, an identity crisis because I'm, I sing. That's what I do. It's how I express myself. I'm a musician. And guess what? I was brought to my knees about that. Because it's like, what if you can never sing again? I was like, one day I'm not gonna be able to sing. One day, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to age out and my voice is just not gonna be able to do what it used to do. Then what? It's, it's, by the way, pause. It's what happens in marriages whenever somebody, a marriage identity, the identity of that marriage becomes all about the kids and the kids leave and you don't have an identity as a marriage, you don't have a relationship. It's the same exact thing. And so people, it's, it's really kind of idolatrous in a way if we look at it that way because sometimes this comes between us and God. But, but, but in that way, sexuality has has taken a place in our identity and it was never meant to. It was, it was never meant to mean what it means in our core part. We're trying to, people are trying to find their salvation in their sexuality. 
And you know, it, it's, it's terrible because what happens is people, they finally get to a place where they're like, okay, now I am who I, was, who I am. I, I'm being who I was created to be. And after five years, 10 years, 15 years, that, that salvific, salvation-like uh, experience of what that sexuality brought, it, it, it stales, right? It, it stagnates and, and, then, and then they're lost because that was my identity. This is a big deal. This matters a whole lot. So, but gender identity, it's, it's not the sin. It's, it's all in how we respond like any other scenario in our life. So, so this is a real issue. It's not merely political or a talking point. People are hurting and, and, uh, and we should approach this conversation with compassion and love, but, but also without compromise, okay? With, also without compromising God's design, which leads, which leads us to the last section here about sexuality and it has to do with sexual attraction. And so there was, there's a smaller amount of people who deal with gender identity issues. And the reason I took so long on that was because I wanted people to understand what the conversation is about so we can actually communicate, <laughs> okay? All of us can, can try to communicate. Um, but a lot of us deal with the issue of sexual attraction. Personally in this room, there's a whole lot of people who are bisexual, homosexual, and also there's a whole lot of, pe- uh, heterosexual, obviously, and there's, there's a whole lot of people who are, um, they, they don't talk about their sexual attraction, okay? But internally, some of you in here, like you, you've been a bisexual your whole life, but you've only ever externally operated as a heterosexual, and you wouldn't want anybody to know that you're bisexual, maybe because of the family that you were raised in or whatever. It's all around us. There's a lot of studies that have been done um, about sexual attraction, and even that sexual attraction in itself, honestly, for some people, it's, it is actually very fluid. It is. And so I'm not here to basically like say it's not a real thing. Of course, it is. It is a real thing. Uh, um, so, so what do we believe about sexual attraction? Sexual attraction or orientation is who a person is attracted to. Sexual attraction, again, can be hetero, homo, bi, it goes on and on. And, uh, and just like I said about transgender or gender identity issues not being the sin, okay, the, the, it's what, kind of what you do with that. Sexual attraction is not, the, is, is not a sin, okay? Who you're attracted to, it's what you do, how you act on that attraction. And many people miss this. This is why when people say, can I be a Christian homosexual? People are like, no. And all I hear when I hear that question asked is this, can I be a Christian heterosexual? If you have a traditional mindset, you're like, well, of course you can. And then we say, can you be a, a, a Christian homosexual? You're like, no, that's impossible. And I'm like, well, wait, hold up, hold up. There are, you can be a Christian who's attracted to a lot of different people, okay? This is very controversial for a lot of people. It's, it's very obvious in scripture though, okay? You, you may be attracted to the same sex or the opposite sex or, or whatever. That in and of itself is not the sin, it's how you respond to that. I, I met, um, me and another guy met with a, um, a same-sex couple, they were married a couple of years ago, a few years ago, and, uh, and it was in the context of church. Um, and they were extremely nervous to meet because they wanted to kind of know where we stood on some things, and so we walk into the room, and let me just, I'm just gonna be transparent. Uh, I was kind of nervous because I didn't know where they were coming from. And they were extremely nervous, more nervous than I was because they didn't know where I was coming from. And, um, 
And if one of the first things I said is, hey, I said, hey guys, listen, I, I'm not here, by the way, to like fix you. Um, I'm not here to tell you that you have to stop being a homosexual. I said, you, me telling you to stop being attracted to guys is like you telling me to stop being attracted to girls. Like, I can't flip a switch and boom, I'm a homosexual. Like, I'm attracted to, the, like, that's not reality. And everybody kind of, like, you get that. But all of a sudden, when, when you actually say it, some people are like, oh, is that compromise? No, it's just reality, okay? And there are people who are born uh, with attractions and, um, and, hey, nature, nurture, I'm not here to talk about that necessarily, but the reality, the conclusion is that that's where they're at. And, and <laughs> what's funny is I told him that, you could feel the tension just leave the room. And we actually had a real conversation. And uh, it was very interesting, actually, um, because God was dealing with them. Remember last week we talked about the Holy Spirit um, dealing with people? Like the first person who actually deals with people's lifestyles is, is God, not us. Okay, and then the second person is not a pastor stepping in to bring church discipline or correction or all this kind of stuff, but it's actually people who are in relationship with them, who love them enough and know their story, to, right? And, and so... Um, uh, they came in, they actually weren't connected to anybody because they didn't know how to connect to people because of where they were at in life. And, and uh, we talked to them and uh, uh, got to know their story. And it was horrible because uh, whenever they, you know, they were like five years old and they both knew that they were gay. They both, they were just, they knew that they, their expression even was just not what everybody else was. And, and so that had messed with them. And whenever they finally, uh, um, you know, came out to their parents and told their parents, they were very, very traditional, very conservative, and, and because of that, there was a lot of fear in how the church, the church that they were in was extremely um, vocal about, about this, but not in a way that was helpful, but in a way that was suppressing and didn't provide any sort of like hope or talk about it in the way that we're even talking about it now. It was like, what's wrong with you? Don't tell anybody, you know, that's it. And... Um, and in addition to that, there was some sexual abuse that happened from the authority in the church on top of all that. And uh, it was a mess. And what happens is, uh, what, what happens, guys, listen, what happens to us is we read a lot of articles, both sides of this, both sides of this argument. We read a lot of articles, and what happens is we dehumanize people, and then we look at them as a problem, or we look at them as, for, for we identify them as their sexuality, okay? And, 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 and then we, we can't actually have compassion and love. I wept with those guys. Hearing their story, I wept with them. And, um, and they knew that I loved them. I still talk to one of the guys, you know? He's a great guy. Uh, you know, I'll, as far as the story goes, uh, there was a change of thinking. There was a, a, a repentance in regards to the lifestyle that was being lived, um, but the thing was is that I didn't have to really say much because the Holy Spirit had already said everything. All I did was say, I think that's the Holy Spirit convicting you about your lifestyle, and you know, I mean, you know what I believe about the Bible, and I understand your story, um, but I would say that, you know, that God's, God's leading you into life, and uh, it was painful, though. It was a very, very painful situation, so <clears throat> I could go on about, about that, but um, I, I said that for any of you who are dealing with uh, uh, sexual attraction is issues and you've just kind of been like, I can't talk about it or anything, um, you're not gonna hear, you're not gonna experience people who just say, well, just turn it off like a light switch. You know, that, that's, not, that's not the way that we think about that. Um, but the Bible is clear about what is proper sexual activity, okay? So um, 
But people have many objections about how the Bible has been interpreted around these issues. And so again, sexual immorality is any sexual activity um, outside the covenant of marriage, and that covenant of marriage is between a biological man and woman. So any sexual activity outside of that. That's right, even in your mind. That's sexual activity. And Jesus is the one that raised that standard. He's the one that said that. So, so for some of you, you're like, oh man, the pressure's off because I'm not into all you know, this stuff. It's like, no, nah, when's the last time you thought inappropriately about somebody? There you go. You're right in the mix with us. You know what I'm saying? And again, this message, I can't talk about every single thing. And so uh, I hope that you don't feel like I'm just picking on a certain group of people. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just trying to bring clarity to a, to a progressive thinking in Christianity that's finding its way into the church without any clarity. So what does the Bible say about sexual activity? Um, there's many objections. And again, just like I said, with the word malakoi and all this, when you come to biblical interpretation, biblical interpretation, Everything stems from that. How do you interpret the Bible? And when it comes to homosexuality, um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna lean into just that word because here's the deal. I wanna paint a picture. I'm gonna do like a little, like a storyline with you. Ready? This is an objection that you'll hear people say. People say that the word homosexual isn't in the Bible. By a show of hands, how many of you have heard someone say, it's not a trick question, how many of you have heard someone say that the word homosexual is not in the Bible? All right, a good amount of you. How many of you have not heard it? This actually is very helpful to me. I'm not just like making y'all do stuff. How many of you have not heard someone say that homosexuality, homosexual is not in the Bible? Okay, so actually I think the majority of people have not heard that. That's good, that's why we're doing this. There's a claim that the word homosexual is not in the Bible. So a typical Christian would say something like, well, in 1 Timothy 1.10, it says that the law is laid down for the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, there's a word, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. The typical Christian would say, see, it's right there. The word homosexual is right there. And uh, but the, the, the issue is that many Christians don't realize that homosexual was not included in a Bible translation until the 1940s. It wasn't. So that part of that claim is actually true in regards to it, it wasn't included. But still, other people that would say that don't realize that the word homosexual wasn't created until the 1800s by a Hungarian psychologist, Karoly Maria Binkert. If you search his name, it comes up differently because it's like Carl, you know? I should've just said Carl, but Karoly. But, you know, I guess Hungarians don't speak like we do. But so because it wasn't created till the 1800s, it couldn't have been in early translations. Do you guys just see what happened? Typical Christian, you're saying it's not in the Bible. It is in the Bible, it's right there. Yeah, but actually it wasn't there before the 1940s. Really? And the, the other guy's like, yeah, I told you, see, see. And it's like, but the word didn't exist till the 1800s, so of course it wasn't used. Oh. And so people shoot TikToks all over the place about this, and it's like, Really, like, there's no I gotcha moment in that conversation. <laughs> it's, like it's, it's pretty clear why it wasn't there. So, um, whereas the Bible may not address sexuality using the terminology we have today, the Bible does clearly address sexual activity between people. And if we're talking about homosexuality, which is one of the big, that's the, the big fight, I'll give you an example. Romans 1 says this. 
For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, to nature, okay, biological nature, uh, biological sex that we're talking about. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So this type of sexuality, the sexuality was active since the beginning. It was, this, was, this has been happening for a long time. And this sexual activity wasn't according to God's design for people. And you can see that in multiple um, parts of, of scripture. And so I, I know that a lot of people are saying a lot of things about what is or is not biblical sexuality or unbiblical sexuality. And uh, despite what people may try and say, the Bible only supports two biological sexes, male and female. You can go ahead and put that up, brother, on the screen, because I want everybody to be able to read this. The Bible only supports two biological sexes, male and female, gender identities based off of that biological sex, man and woman. Again, gender identities, gender expression, we had that conversation, okay? Gender identities based off of that biological sex, and one sexual orientation to be actively engaged in, which is heterosexuality, and only in the context of marriage. Biblically speaking, if, if the Bible, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, is the authority in our life, if we actually believe that the Bible is the word of God, the authoritative word of God, that God spoke to men and they penned his words, his heart, his character and who he is, and we, and we are actually looking at it biblically, okay, then this is what the word of God says to us today. And I know that this is hard for some people to accept. Um, it doesn't feel right, okay? For some people, it doesn't feel right. Um, but I, I wanna throw this out there. Sometimes murder feels right. It does. But vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You know, you feel the angst. We're like at the, the tip of the spear of, the, of, the, of the, the frustration and the emotion and the, and the disagreement and the politics and, and history. And it's like, it, it comes down to moments like this right here in regards to sexuality. And at the end of the day, every single person has to make a decision of who, which side they're gonna be on, how they're gonna live that out, how they're gonna interpret that, how they're gonna live. And um, I'm not here today to like force you to think a certain way. I, I really hope that today was to help you see how to think about these issues, not necessarily what to think. I've definitely made a very, very distinct uh, statement there. And that's what I believe. That's what we believe here at this church. It does not mean that if someone doesn't see eye to eye with this, that there's vitriol against you or I'm angry with you. There's people who disagree with a whole lot of stuff. Me and my wife disagree about half the things that go on in our life. I mean, disagreement's a part of life. But um, as pastor, you know, in the, way, in the way that we teach, this is how we see sexuality. And this is how we're gonna teach our kids sexuality. 
This is how we're going to, here's the deal. Some people say that this is indoctrination and I would say that everything's indoctrination. It's just whether it's indoctrination that God would like us to indoctrinate each other with or it's satanic. And this is godly doctrine and we hold fast to this. So we live in a world that loves sex but holds very little value for its true essence or meaning. And sin has fractured our sexuality. Um, I believe that our biological sex and our gender identity and, and our, our uh, you know, expression and our, our attraction and all these things were perfectly aligned in the garden. And I believe that sin fractured that. And uh, he fractured cre- sin fractured creation. And so this is one of those things that sin has fractured and now we're trying to decipher and, and it's difficult. But at the end of the day, it's about prioritizing God's desire for us over our desires for ourselves. Okay, I'm a heterosexual male. I love my wife. I'm attracted to my wife, but I'm not just attracted to my wife. That's right. Young people, if you think when you get married, you're no longer attracted to anyone else except your spouse, you're wrong. Okay? Okay? But God's word says that there's one way for me to live a sexually integral life. Okay? A a, a sexually pure, holy life. And guess what I have to do? I have to consistently submit my desires to God's desire. I had a a pastor, I was 21 years old, he was a pastor, and we were in a prayer line. I was praying for pastors. It it was a weird thing that we were at. I should have not been praying for, anyway, that's another story. I'm like 21, like, you know? And this guy comes up, he's a pastor, and he's, he's like, he confesses sin to me, sexual sin. I'm like, um, and, uh, and then he was like, I just want God to take away this desire and, and these things. And I was like, yeah, man, I, I don't know a lot about all this, but like, I don't think that God's gonna just like magically take away your sexual desire. And he was like, really? <laughs> like, no, man, that's not how this works. Sanctification is hard. That's right, it's difficult, man. And so like, I think you're gonna be 80 years old and still having to bounce the eyes away from what you see. And like, oh God, it ain't just gonna disappear, man. And so we're all in the same boat when it comes to that, y'all. And so how would Jesus respond to us today? I wanna give an example and then we're gonna pray. Because when it comes to sexual immorality, I think one of the best um, stories in scripture for us to, to end with as a picture as we leave is this. Um, there was a woman in the Bible who was in the act of adultery. And the religious leaders of the day, it kind of seems like a trap, sort of like a trap. They, they, they got her. They bring her before Jesus. They caught her in the act. They throw her before Jesus. And uh, they're trying to trap Jesus as well. And so they're like, Jesus, the law says that we should stone this woman for being caught in sexual immorality. What say you? What do you say about, say about that, Jesus? You're such a great teacher and so many people like you. And What do you have to say about that? And uh, you, you know, for Jesus, I mean, what an awkward position because these men are just trying to get the people to hate him, okay? And they're also wanting to get him to actually follow through with what the law says and be the lawgiver, right? And, uh, and so he doesn't say anything at first, which I think is really important for us to know that if we're ever in a situation with someone who's dealing with gender identities or maybe they're in something that we don't personally know about ourselves, by the way, you don't have to have an answer right off the bat. 
If you feel the pressure to always have some sort of answer or some sort of thing, and you don't really feel like you can say that with love and compassion or really true understanding, just hit pause and just say, man, I hear what you're saying, okay? He doesn't say anything. And he begins to write in the dirt. A lot of people have a lot of ideas of what he was doing whenever he was writing in the sand. Was he writing their names? Was he writing their sins? What, what was he actually doing? But, but he told him this. He said, you without the first, you're right, the law does say that, but one of you, whoever got, you know, you have no sin in your life, why don't you go ahead and throw the first stone at this woman? And one by one, they walked away. And a lot of people stopped the story there because they're like, see, Jesus was like, you're not condemned. And that part of the story is absolutely true. Jesus did not come to condemn the world but bring life. And we see that in regards to sexual immorality right here in front of Jesus. So how does he react? First off, he doesn't react quickly, takes his time. He, he removes the condem condemners, the accusers, okay? The, the condemnation, there's no condemnation in Christ, okay? And he speaks to her and he speaks life to her, okay? And then whenever he sends her off, he says this. He says, now go and sin no more. Jesus did not condone her actions. He forgave them. Jesus did not compromise in the standard of God's heart and holiness, right? He died for those who can't keep that standard of holiness. And so we see the tension of, of grace and truth and real love by, by sacrificing himself, giving himself as a sacrifice to pay the price for the sin that has fractured each and every one of us. And that story, what it does on many levels for me is it causes me to have more love for my God, to understand how much grace he has in my life, to extend that grace to others but also not to compromise and begin to live an unholy life that grieves his heart and abuses his grace. And that's the life that I believe that Jesus is calling us to live. And I hope today that the heart, I mean, we took a very long time and I, this is the longest message I've ever preached in my life. Uh, other than hot topics class, we, we go for a couple hours there. But this subject needed this amount of time and needed this much care because it's not just a political thing. It's not just a cultural conversation. This is deep rooted in our hearts and this is, a, this is a deep level of brokenness in all of us, our sexuality. So I wanna pray for you. And if you're here today, you're watching online and uh, you're really struggling with this, it could even be personal, but it could also be relational. Some of you, I know you got, you got sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles. You got people in your family that everything I just said it's difficult conversations. And you might not be able to eloquently lay everything out. You might not need to. You might just need to love them. That might be what God's calling you to do. Not affirm everything about them. That's not what love is. Love is showing up whenever nobody else will. Love is having conversations and just caring and compassion, praying for them. Not wearing your opinions right here on your sleeve, right? Well, this is what I think. I disagree, I disagree. No, you don't have to do that. Half the time, people already know it. Let's just walk like Jesus. Let me pray. God, we thank you today for your word. 
We believe it that is, it is your heart communicated to us on paper. We receive it today with great conviction. God, I'm praying for every person here today, every person watching online. God, I'm praying that you help us. Just help us, God. On a personal level, Lord, we are broken. We are sinful by nature. And God, we need your redemptive work in our life. We need your healing in our hearts, in our minds, psychologically, emotionally, physiologically. God, we need, we need healing. God, for so many people right now in this room dealing with sexuality issues, gender identity issues, expression, condemnation, fear for the fact that Maybe they don't, they don't fit in, culturally speaking. God, people who are just in pain. God, I'm asking right now for you to do a great work in their hearts. To do a great work in their hearts, God. To reveal yourself to them. To reveal your heart about who they are to them. That you love them, that you have created them in the image of yourself. And that, God, they would be able to see that, that their image is not based upon their sexuality, that their identity is not based upon who they're attracted to or how they feel or even physiologically, maybe there's some issues there. Their identity is not that, but they are made in the image of God and their identity is truly found in Jesus Christ. Reveal that, God, I cannot do that. Only you can. Holy Spirit, do a work in our hearts. For those who find themselves in sexual immorality right now, this might be a moment for you to repent. And it's not some big, long, drawn-out thing. It's literally a broken heart. The Bible says a broken heart and a contrite spirit God does not deny. If you've been living a lifestyle that you know is immoral, it's apart from God, all you gotta do right now is just surrender your heart to God. Yes, there might be some changes that you need to make in your life. But at this moment, it's about surrender. God, forgive me, heal me. God, help me to live a life that pleases you. I repent. If you're far from God, it's the same prayer. If you're not saved today, you don't know Jesus. God, I, I repent, forgive me. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he took my punishment on the cross to give me life, to give me wholeness, and I surrender to him right now. God, for all of us, lastly, who are dealing with this in our families, with our friends, God, we don't know how to talk about it. It's difficult, we love them, but we disagree, perhaps. God, give us wisdom. Give us the words to say, to speak truth in, with grace and love. Anoint us to go walk out and, and, and speak out with authority, but God, not just abrasive, not abrasive speech, but to be to be led with compassion like you were whenever you went to, to heal people and minister to people. We thank you. We praise you. Help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.